This podcast covers mature, intense, morbid, and sometimes just scary stuff. Listener discretion is advised. Irish women and children were held captive, tortured, and abused at the hands of the Catholic Church for over 200 years. We're uncovering how Ireland laundries were able to turn young women into slaves for their own profit in this episode of 30 Morbid Minutes. This is the podcast where we explore topics of a morbid, macabre, dark, and downright grisly nature, and sometimes just have a bit of a depression fest like today, right, Jess? Uh, depression <laughs> fest ready. I'm ready. I'm ready too. I'm Elise Willems. And I'm Jessica Vasami. In 1993, 133 bodies were exhumed from an unmarked grave on the property of the Mary Magdalene Laundry in Dublin. Now, the laundry was what it sounded like. It's a laundry where clothes and linens were washed. The laundry facility, it served the surrounding community for over a century and had only closed two years earlier in 1991. It was operated by an order of nuns called the Sister of Our Lady Charity of Refuge. You know there's a problem when nuns are involved, Jess. Absolutely. I don't, I don't know them. if you can trust them. Yep. <laughs> the sisters, ever since Sound of Music, <laughs> I've just been... <laughs> On a tear. The sisters had made a bad shareholding investment and needed to pay back a large debt. So they sold the land of the laundry to a developer. But there was one minor thing that had to be taken care of before the transfer of property was fully complete. The unmarked mass graveyard, which held the 133 bodies of women and girls who had once lived and worked on the property. Oh, just one minor small thing. Yeah. Just yeah. this mass grave. Mm. It's important to point out that the grave was not a surprise. The nuns knew about it all along. Yeah, the sisters quietly applied for the permission to have the remains exhumed, cremated, and relocated to another cemetery and split the cost with the developers. After the bodies were moved, the developers found 22 more unaccounted bodies on the grounds, bringing the total to 155. When the nuns presented their records, which were slim, they only had about 75 death certificates on file, so not enough to cover all the bodies that were there. In Ireland, failure, uh, in Ireland, failure to register a death that occurs on one's premises is a criminal offense. So the nuns exhumed the other 22 bodies and attempted to keep the situation quiet. Oh my God. While this mass grave at the Magdalene Laundry was not initially reported, people did catch wind of the scandal and it created a public outrage. And this brought unprecedented attention to the laundry. Yeah, for centuries, laundries such as this one operated as a secretive institution run on abuse and exploitation of women and children. So we're talking a whole system here that is keeping women in, in servitude. Women who were brought to the laundry worked for no pay, were not permitted to interact with the outside world, and were subjected to horrendous abuse. The public outcry over the 155 found bodies pulled at yet another long and complicated thread, which wove together the Irish state and the Catholic Church. Yes. In cahoots, as more survivors came forward, the people of Ireland were finally able to bear witness to what really happened to these women. They went through hell living and working in these places. It was like being condemned, a prison and indentured servitude, and it completely violated their fundamental human rights. Yeah. When a woman was sent to Magdalene Laundry, she assumed that she was going to die there, and many did. However, 
The unfortunate part is we'll never know the exact number. It's estimated that around 30,000 women were locked up in Irish Magdalene laundries between the 19th and 20th centuries. After Ireland's independence in 1922, approximately 10,000 women in addition, were admitted to these facilities. Yeah, and when I first read about these laundries, I did wonder about the name. And these facilities, they were named after Mary Magdalene, who was a reformed sex worker who, you know, famously befriends Jesus in the Bible. Mary Magdalene's story is very often misused to justify the mistreatment of women. Yeah, and again, like, there's not like we have an exact written document about who this person was. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. who knows also what was written about her that was not true. But yeah, it definitely, calling them a Magdalene laundry is definitely intended to give a certain connotation there, right? Yeah. And it just furthers the narrative of women in general Mm -hmm. and sex workers and all of it. Of of the nasty woman, right? Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. And, uh, These laundries, they operated under the guise of being a house for, quote-unquote, fallen women. So this is a term that was applied to women who engaged in sexual activity or sex work. Yeah, and later the term fallen women would be expanded and stretched to include women who were pregnant out of wedlock, single mothers, uh, the disabled, petty criminals, or the abused. Just any woman that posed a problem from conforming to society. Uh, Yes. Right? Yes. Yeah. Um, From the outside, though, these laundries gave the impression of charity. The Catholic Church was helping these lost and immoral souls while offering a much-needed service to the community. Back to our not-trusting nuns, these these so-called sweet nuns uh, gave the fallen women a second chance at morality and honest work. In reality, though, the survivors recall being verbally assaulted all the while enduring humiliating and dangerous hygiene conditions. Historian and author James Smith has written a bunch about the laundries and said the Irish variety took on a distinct character, meaning the violence, oppression, and brutalization of the imprisoned women was specifically harsh in these conditions. That being said, reformatory laundries operated pretty much everywhere and even in the U.S., but today we are focusing on Ireland's Magdalene laundries, which were by far the most harsh. So let's get into how these laundries started. Well, in 1765, the first Magdalene Asylum for Penitent Females was founded on Lower Leeson Street in Dublin by Lady Arabella Denny. It was a house, again, for these fallen women and penitent prostitutes. Lady Denny was an Irish philanthropist and a supporter of the Dublin Founding Hospital. Through her work at the hospital, she came into contact with young women in need who were forced to give up their children, homes, and families. It seemed to start a little bit on the up and up. So Mm -hmm. when Lenny started the asylum, women were to work in exchange for accommodation, clothes, food, and they would also get religious instruction. And it was expected that a woman would spend anywhere from 18 months to 12 years in the facility, which is a big, big window. Oh, yeah. Very, very big. (laughs) Yeah. Which I get like to me, it's like, oh, a year of helping somebody get back on their feet is okay. Okay, maybe. Yeah. But then you cross a certain point where you're like, oh, no, is this person, can they leave here? Yeah. Are they being held here against their own will or... There's is there some kind of Stockholm syndrome happening here? Like what's going on? Yeah. And the only time I can think of like some sort of facility doing being there for that long is like a like a foster foster care, but those are for children who cannot yeah. care for themselves. But I can't think of anything else where and I'm like they're 
like there are halfway houses when people leave prison and stuff like that where like you have to live in this house. But for 12, for beyond parole, long. you can't have a phone, you know. Yeah. But yeah, there, this is just kind of an unregulated, you know, you're, you're here. You're yeah. Here. yeah. And the women, they were only allowed to leave the facility when the nuns permitted them to return home. It was the first institution of its kind in Ireland, and it ended up becoming a model for others throughout the country. And these nuns keep coming up, but I think there's a conversation to be had of these nuns also fall in the same patriarchal system, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, like, they are abusing these other women, and but and that doesn't um, negate or excuse them doing that. Mm-hmm. But it's just all it just all ties back into like this whole system society is broken and biased and oppressing to women, right? Absolutely. Have you seen uh, that Hulu show? Why can't I think of it? Handmaid's Tale. No, I have read the Margaret Atwood book, but I haven't seen the show. Yeah, it's getting real. I get Handmaid's Tale vibes from this so far, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, it very much is. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You're here and you're here to serve a purpose that is not of your own, but of the state. (laughs) Yeah. In high society, it praised Lady Denny. That's the thing is like our morals back then were so backwards. Yeah. The average person thought this was such a moral innovation. She rubbed elbows with all of high Irish society and powerful leaders in the churches. And the Magdalene Asylum was even registered as a charity. Yeah. Fun fact, Lady Denny had a fear of being buried alive. Maybe something to do with having a guilty conscience for, you know, the hundreds of women who would eventually die due to her charitable care. I would be worried about one of them burying me alive. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And then when she died in 1792, she ordered that her body be left in place for at least 72 hours to make sure she was in fact dead, (laughs) which if you listen to our Buried Alive episode, it was like a thing people did a lot. (laughs) Yeah, it makes sense. I feel like you would ask me that. You'd be like, you better not bury me too soon. I just feel like you'd be like, make sure I'm dead. (laughs) You're going to sit with my body. I'm um, let's see, I'll put in maybe a week. For you to get my fortune, oh my <laughs> at, least, at least a week Your that you're going to have to sit with me. <laughs> Look, wow. Jessica, if you want this beanie baby fortune. Oh, my God. Just give me Remy. Give me the dog. Oh, my gosh. you He is a treasure. I, exactly. So, yeah. That's the fortune, man. Mm-hmm. Anyway, <laughs> parents sent their unmarried daughters to the laundries in order to hide their pregnancies. But sex work was the main concern. The Catholic Church saw it as an epidemic that absolutely needed to be squashed. Priests were out in the streets trying to convince women to turn themselves in. These streetwalker priests. <laughs> um, Catholic missionaries hounded sex workers with religious materials. And these materials were supposed to inspire the women to leave behind their so-called deviant lives. Such deviant lives. Yeah, mm-hmm. even as scores of women were being uh, rehabilitated in the Magdalene laundries, sex work was becoming more widespread. Instead of looking for a causation, why women were doing sex work for money or food, they ignored the social problems and blamed the individual. According to Francis Finnegan, the author of Do Penance or Perish, a study of Magdalene's asylums in Ireland, so long as poverty continued and the demand for public women remained, public women being a sex worker, mm-hmm. such losses were easily replaced. Yeah. So it's it's no surprise that even with the scores of immoral women being admitted to the laundries, it did little to tamp down sex work. And it seemed like the Catholic Church was failing to achieve their mission. And in this failure, the church saw opportunity because when God closes a door, he opens a window, right? <laughs> And the church saw this as their window. They were aware of how profitable the forced labor of the laundries was becoming. 
By enslaving the women and forcing them to live on the grounds where they worked for free, the laundries were bringing in millions. So they expanded. All these earlier notions of charity were so transparently traded in the name of profit. The laundries operated under a unique labor structure with virtually no overhead costs. The women cooked, cleaned, did the laundry, and even slept in the facilities. And the Irish government, surprise, did little to nothing to intervene. It benefited them. They saw dollar signs and they endorsed it. Even the army exclusively got their subsidized laundry done at the facilities. All the money and profits went straight to the top. The church and the Irish government sat fat and happy while the women were held hostage and starved. And the greed grew. The motivations for admitting to the laundry started to shift as well. Instead of focusing on sex workers and wayward girls, the church began targeting everybody that deemed they deemed in need of moral revival. It was arbitrary and unscrupulous. Yeah, like if a woman was outspoken even, or like she just stepped out of what they considered, you know, the, the line, she was then called a fallen woman, yeah. right? Like yeah. any woman that dared not be some wilting violet, they would send away. So like even victims of abuse, like they don't want to deal with that. She's accused her, maybe her father or a family friend or they, no, she's in the wrong. So she goes orphans, women who gave birth out of wedlock were labeled criminals and sent there. Even Mm -hmm. girls thought to be too beautiful would be sent to the laundry by their families. I guess, I guess we'd end up there just... (laughs) I was about to say, that's like the biggest <laughs> shock of all. It's like being too beautiful. Yeah. Um, or I guess, I'm, I'm sure that's that was like a weird way they went to justify of like, oh, well, she's like... A threat you know, Somebody's being creepy to her and it's her. You know, it's, it's the same oh, old... Oh, I see. Like, yeah. Like, you shouldn't dress that way. It's, it's too like, much. Well, maybe mm-hmm. you shouldn't be harassing me. Th- totally. You know? 100%. I thought it was... I don't know why I thought. I'm like, oh, if she's too pretty for like maybe the other women that were in line and they were a threat to them in some way. I don't know, but that's just, it's crazy. It's weird. But the more immoral girls, I say that with quotes, um, there were, there were to exploit, the more laundries were able to expand. This meant that the physical facilities got larger and held more people. Yes. It was this massive interlocking system. And once you were in it, it was so hard to get out. And as these laundries grew, so did their role in society. We're going to learn more about the Magdalene laundries right after a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by ExpressVPN. Jess, you would never go into a coffee shop and just leave your laptop out there exposed logged in while you went to the bathroom, would you? Oh, hell no. I've had way too many friends that log onto my Facebook and then... (laughs) (laughs) Right? Awful statuses. But even more, I don't want people stealing my stuff. No, which is why that you need the same protection for your computer. You need a VPN for every time you connect to an encrypted network. So that's like a cafe or a hotel or an airport. There are hackers that can gain access to your personal data just because they are on the same network. That's very true. And it doesn't take much Mm -hmm. like technical knowledge to hack somebody just... I don't know, some cheap hardware, like a a 12-year-old could do it. So this is, you know, not messing around. Yeah, the dark web has come up on this show before, okay? And it is is serious, okay? Hackers can make up to $1,000 per person. These are the numbers they're telling us. That is true. $1,000 per person. Hey, I believe it. I believe it. So yeah, why use ExpressVPN? 
One of them is an encrypted tunnel. So it creates a secure uh, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. Hackers can't steal your sensitive data. Yes. And ExpressVPN, their stake in their claim here, it'd take a, a hacker with a supercomputer over a billion years to get past ExpressVPN's encryption. Okay. They are confident, you guys. This is what they're confident. All right. No, yeah. And it's easy to use. You can fire up the app, click one button to get protected. It works on all of the devices, everything you can think of, phones, laptops, tablets, and more. So you can just stay secure. Yeah, I've used it before. And it's just that extra safety net, that sense of security that you feel uh, like you're, you know, not going to have issues, right? Uh, it's just yeah. a little blank, a security blanket, ExpressVPN. That's the perfect way to put it. Yeah. So you can secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash 30mm. That's expressvpn, E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash 30mm, and you can get an extra three months free, expressvpn.com slash 30mm. Support for today's episode comes from Relatable. This one's for all you citizen detectives out there, aka everyone listening to this podcast. If you love nothing more than a juicy mystery like me and Jess, you will love Relatable's newest game, Who Killed Mia? You may know them for their internet famous party games like What Do You Meme, Let's Get Deep, and New Phone Who Dis. So you know that Relatable's first foray into a murder mystery game is going to be unlike anything else out there. And it really is. It's a murder mystery made specifically for people who are really into the internet. It is centered around the fictional influencer Mia Starr and her untimely death at the Replay Awards. So when you're playing it, you solve the case using a mix of physical and immersive digital evidence. So you might have to like hack into a phone or watch a video and check, see what's going on in the background to try to uncover the killer. And this sensational game is available on the Relatable website, as well as at Target, Walmart, and Amazon. You can follow along on Instagram at RealMiaStar and at WhoKilledMia. I played this with my husband and a couple of friends this weekend, and we had such a fun evening. I love that there is so much diverse evidence that you have to pour over to try to pick up clues. Like I've mentioned before, you have to watch videos. You're looking at interview logs, interrogation logs. You're looking at security camera footage. It really makes you feel like you have, have real autonomy in how you're solving this mystery. It doesn't hold your hand, which if you want a challenge is really, really fun. I love murder mystery games and I play a lot like this and I had a blast. It also kind of nails the influencer aspect, if you, if you know that world. It's really great. So calling all crime junkies, Who Killed Mia is for all you game lovers and detectives. Get this game for your next game night and find out who killed the world's favorite influencer in Who Killed Mia, a new kind of murder mystery game from Relatable, the creators of the hit game, What Do You Meme, and get 20% off with promo code 30MM, that's 30MM, at relatable.com slash who killed Mia. Citizen Detectives, it's your time to shine. All right, back to the show. Expansion with a focus on the penal system meant the treatment of women and girls grew more violent. Keep in mind, there was no social welfare system and the women did not have many options if they were in trouble. 
Yes, survivors have described being under constant surveillance. You couldn't leave. You were isolated and you worked for no pay, just like a little bit of food. And if you didn't work or or act the way they wanted, if you acted a way that they thought was immoral, they might deprive you of that food. They were forced to wash, iron, fold, sew, and pack laundry on top of whatever other manual labor was needed. The heat from steaming laundry made the unventilated rooms suffocating, and it was just a struggle to survive. And sometimes, though, the girls did manage to escape, and they did this maybe in the back of a laundry van. And this is the the thing that I think we, I keep forgetting too, is how recent all of this was. Like, this is 20th century. These places closed in the early 90s, so they're escaping in the back of vans, or maybe a door was left open. Some of them scaled walls and then maybe got caught or returned. Um, and then usually the punishment was just like you got brought back or you got sent to another laundry. If a girl or a woman was released by the nuns, it was without warning or money. So she would be pushed into the streets wearing only the clothes on her back. Many fled to other countries as soon as they had the option to. There were some good people who helped the girls escape. Hugh and Ina McEntee and their three sons heroically rescued 15 girls from a laundry in Galway City in 1633. There's a documentary about them called Ireland's Dirty Laundry. Some of the incarceration was generational. If your mother was in the laundry, there is a good chance that you would also be working there. Survivor Mary Collins and her daughter, who was also a victim of the laundries, advocated that Mary Collins' own mother be exhumed from a mass graveyard owned by the Religious Sisters of Charity. Initially, a large majority of the women who entered the institutions went voluntarily. They would serve a multi-year terms and what they thought was learning a respectable profession. Yeah, they thought they would go in and then like learn some new skills. And then after they would be released, they'd be able to apply those in a job. But the institutions and system kept them incarcerated because it didn't want them released. By 1920, Magdalene Laundries had completely abandoned the intention for rehabilitation. Instead, they were absorbed into and accepted as a part of the Irish penal system. Yeah, and like the conditions we've talked about, they basically mimicked a prison, even though most residents had never been convicted of a crime. Historian Helen Self writes, quote, Redemption might sometimes involve a variety of coercive measures, including shaven hands, institutional uniforms, bread and water diets, restricted visiting, supervised correspondence, solitary confinement, and even flogging, end quote. While inside, the women were not allowed to speak. It was like they were in a monastery. Until the 1970s, all women and children were required to refer to staff as mother. So it's like all sorts of twisted yeah, this shit is going just, on in here. Yeah, I did not read Handmaid's Tale, but like I watched all of it and it's just giving me strong Handmaid's Tale vibes. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the in the late 19th and early 20th century, the pipeline of school to enslavement sustained the labor need. So a girl would go from reform school, then be sent to work for the laundry after, especially if reform was deemed not possible. Like we mentioned, some children spent their whole lives in the laundry, especially if you were born to a single mother. You can see photos online from the 1900s and like, I mean, we're talking like I say 1900s, but we mean like even like 50s, 60s, 70s, you know, children Mm -hmm. with shaved heads standing next to piles of laundry just as tall as them. Mary Smith, who grew up in the Sunday's Well Laundry in Cork, Ireland has an official oral history about her time there that you can find online. Smith was born to an unwed mother and growing up, she never even knew her mother's name. 
She was born in 1952, but doesn't know her exact birthday. In the Sunday's well laundry, there were no birthdays or Christmases or any holidays. Yeah, she just has no record of her life for the first two and a half years. She thinks she was born in one of the Magdalene reformatories, but really those two and a half years are just a blank. At age three, she was brought by an undisclosed man to a laundry in Clonakilty, where she was expected to work. Smith describes whippings so bad that the other girls thought that she was going to die just for talking to somebody outside the gates. Her first memory is looking into a hole and feeling extremely fearful. She later kind of realized that that was her at a nun's funeral and she was looking into the the grave. That was the hole. Whoa, weird. To quote Smith, quote, you got beaten just for looking over at them because you were beneath them. You were nothing and the nuns were always telling us that, unquote. She recalls being lined up and forced to chant, I am nobody. Yeah, it's just like... It's the worst thing ever, like the worst. Yeah. Uh, There was zero comfort for little Mary there. She recalls having mumps and then just being like lashed out at for vomiting in the infirmary. The women and girls received no education while at the laundries. Many survivors dwell on this fact as being a loss of opportunity for them, Smith included. And for some reason, the nuns were just obsessed with this idea of keeping the children fit. They made them walk eight miles every Sunday, no matter how old they were. Yeah, Smith Smith forced uh, was forced to clean after the nuns every night, like washing their dishes, scrubbing the floors on their hands and knees. She was so hungry that she would sneak mouthfuls of chicken feed while out in the barn. So much of it is just control and a cycle of abuse and mm-hmm. manipulation. At 14, she was transferred to Mallow, another laundry run by the Sister of Mercy with six other girls. And while she was there, she met a man whom she later learned was the same man who incarcerated her mother. Oh, and also worth noting, she was 14 when this happened, but at the time did not know she was 14 because she did not know her age. Like Mary Smith's mother, a lot of women died in the laundries. At a Magdalene laundry in Donnybrook, uh, electoral registers showed that between 1954 and 1964, half of the names on the register had died in the laundry. And the state never regulated these laundries. Eventually, in 1957, though, they fell subject to the Factories Act. Inspections from authorities were now required. However, they only focused on the machinery and ignored the working conditions of the laborers. It really goes without saying, but we're going to say it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The abuses these women suffered at the hands of the Catholic Church and the Irish government was horrendous. And so documenting these survivor accounts is so important and remembering them and exposing them. And then also learning to mm-hmm. never do anything like this yep. again. Yeah. <laughs> and and w- women are people. Yeah. The last Magdalene Laundry, known as the Gloucestershire Street Laundry, closed on September 25th, 1996, 96. in Waterford, Ireland. Yes. Um, and it was home to 40 women, with, the most, with most of them being elderly or having developmental disabilities. Nine of the women there had no known relatives, and all nine still chose to stay with the nuns when the facility closed. I mean, I also I can imagine that they just knew nothing else. Yeah, and that, yes, and I know I keep talking about Handmaid's Tale, but one of the nuns in Handmaid's Tale, it was a very similar story with her. It's, it, she didn't really know anything else. She, there was a small part of her that like knew that maybe this was wrong, but like was so also brainwashed. Yeah. It was weird. Just all around awful. 
Yeah. You know nothing else and you're not equipped to go do anything else. Yeah. Right? And you're in fear of your life. Yeah. You don't have the toolkit to go and live a different life, mm-hmm. really. When the news spread of the 155 bodies that were found in 1993 at the laundry in Dublin, survivors will f- were finally able to publicly share the abuses that they had endured many for their whole lives. And then in 2001, the government acknowledged the women who were in the laundries as victims of abuse, but they resisted calls for investigations and have not done as much as they could to compensate the women. Kind of disappointed in the Irish mm-hmm. government. I love the UK, I love Ireland, but that's not not good, not good. Yeah. The Irish government claims that the laundries were run outside of the government's jurisdiction, aka the church, but they seem to want to forget how intertwined the church and the state used to be. The advocacy group Justice for Magdalene's presented a case to the UN Committee Against Torture, and they lobbied that uh, for two years. Uh, In June 2011, the Irish government was ordered to investigate allegations that for decades, women and girls sent to work in Catholic laundries were tortured. So finally, the Irish government sets up this committee and they do this 18-month inquiry. And in 2013, uh, they... They do report that the state did, in fact, collude with the Catholic government to send thousands of women to these institutions. Uh, Yeah, the report found over 11,000 women had entered the laundry since 1922. The state issued a formal apology in February 2013 and described the Magdalene laundries as the nation's shame. So they ultimately did pay a little bit of restitution here. They provided 50 million pounds to the survivors from the government, mm-hmm. and they set up some counseling and medical cards and other welfare needs for survivors and their families. Mm-hmm. But hey, I mean, the Catholic Church has so much money. Yeah. Come on here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, they, God, they do. Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. The Catholic Church bit back and said that the investigation was, quote, a one-sided anti-Catholic forum, unquote, and they publicly refused to apologize. Yeah, they complain that all the shame of the era is being dumped on the religious orders. The sins of the society are being placed on us. And it's like, in my opinion, this was a fundamentally, uh, uh, an operation that rested on the inclusion and and the organization of the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. And it benefited the Catholic Church. Yes, the women were compensated by the Irish government, but the Vatican still refuses to pitch in to pay the 600 remaining survivors, despite being ordered to by the UN committee. Well, meanwhile, survivors of the laundries have managed to reclaim their lives, but you, that stays with you. They they can't just be like, well, I'm going to live a normal life now and forget everything bad that happened to me. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and it's just a, like you said, Jess, it's, it's a lesson in how these abuses against marginalized people go unchecked and good people still don't say anything. And, you know, yeah. I think these whole systems are in place to subjugate people, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. minorities, women. And yeah, it's uh, these episodes always make me really mad, but they're really important to do. Absolutely. It's and the fact that this was I mean, the the last one being closed and what was in 96? Like, that's that's insane. I was alive then. So yeah. are you. Yeah. Uh, so it's I was just, amassing my beanie baby fortune see, <laughs> that I'm going to leave to you. Exactly. See, you know, um, but yeah, it, it, the thing that like really bothered me the most out of all this, of course, the like torture and abuse is awful, but them, the nuns making them say, I am nothing, like I am nobody is like just what that does to a person 
when oh, you yeah. convince your brain of that is just awful. They had to break people emotionally for them to not try to get out of mm-hmm. it. You have mm-hmm. to think that you're the worst and you're garbage to stay in a place like that and not try to get out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Ugh. no that more. Was- no more. Yeah, I, I, this was a, a heavy one, and I just want to end on a little bit of a lighter note here, if possible. Yes, I would so love I wanna, that. I want to bring up something from our Boston Molasses Flood episode. Yeah, that's a happy one, too. Go for it. Where, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jess, you made some allusions and comparisons to the film The Blob. <laughs> yes. In yes, that, I uh, did. You know, there's, there's the 1958 blob and then I think the 88 remake, which it was a, you're a fan favorite. And you were like, wonder, I wonder if this was the inspiration for yes. the, like the Boston Molasses Flood inspired the movies. Yep. And I sent you an article that you ignored. Oh, I glanced at it. But oh, you glanced at it? Oh, okay, yeah, okay. Well, I thought we could then, we, I was, so we both, see, we've seen it. So I, th- I thought we could just mention, I can read here what the, wait, what you've the seen actual, the blob? Did you watch it? I haven't watched it yet. Oh, okay. Okay. But Apparently, there was an event that was the inspiration for the blob. Yes. In September of 1950, in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, two police officers claimed to have spotted something falling from the sky. This is as told by SlashFilm.com. <laughs> officers Joe Keenan and John Collins went to investigate the scene, and they noticed a mysterious glob of something hanging from a telephone pole. The two looked at the substance and noted that the bizarre blob of ooze seemed to be moving on its own Collins reached out to touch the glob of goo and it allegedly left behind a sticky residue before evaporating right before their eyes. Neither officer has ever provided an explanation as to what the hell they saw, nor has anyone ever been able to discount their findings. Well, we know what it is now. It's aliens. I mean, the Pentagon, the government has confirmed it. So that was aliens. Yeah. Okay. Maybe there's some, there may be some kind of, you know, some things maybe, but but wouldn't it have been cool if the molasses flood was the inspiration? Because that aligns more with what the blob does in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, a blob hanging from a pole thing and then disappears cool. after. That's that's real weird. Yeah, I think that I think you're right that that makes more sense. It does. I mean, I don't know if this is, you know. Because they just saw some goo. <laughs> yeah, that could be. Like the goo didn't destroy anything. It didn't really do anything. Not like the molasses. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I don't know what that goo is. It could be something from a kid's store. Yeah. So. Uh, well, anyway, well, we got to the bottom of it at least. And that is important that we got to the bottom of that. Because I know all of you guys were hoping that we'd bring it back up in the next episode I bet there were some comments being like, well, no, I looked into it and here's the case, you know. But still, it would be cooler if it was what I was saying. It would be cool. Well, um, thank you for ending on a better note because that was depressing. Oh, no problem. And speaking of cool, you all are so cool for listening to this podcast every week, for telling your friends about it, for subscribing. We really appreciate you. Oh, yeah. 100% appreciate you. You're all a bunch of sickos, too, which we love you even more for that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We're, we're fearful of it, but we love it. Yeah, yeah. We definitely don't want to get on your bad side. Uh, but uh, yeah, and to all the moms out there listening, you know, my fiance's mom listens, Lisa. I hope you're out there listening to this one. That is something that Jess and I have distinctly recognized about this podcast is a lot of mom. We're not talking about like, you know, your hip, young, 28-year-old <laughs> mom. We- <laughs> We mean like our moms or like, you know, women in the 50 to 80 demographic. Yeah. Yeah. 80. Well, it could be. Hey, yeah. Maybe. Women in their 80s could I mean, be listening. 
I hope so. And I, I, I hope so might, too. We might appreciate you all the most. <laughs> Much closer to death. <laughs> oh my God. I'm sorry. <laughs> the very few women, men listening that are 80 years old to our podcast. But they're they're not long for this earth, and we gave them one final laugh. <laughs> oh my god! Well, Jessica, um, I guess that's it for this week. Thank you. We're getting god. into the spooky season, though, so we've got some fun stuff coming up. I can't wait! I can't wait! I'm so excited. But for now, bad bye. Bad bye, Elise. expansion with a focus on the penal system mm-hmm. yeah you love you always just, love whenever I know, system I just because, because, I was like, hang on how do you say this word and it's like i know you know how to say it Jessica. it's just <laughs> it just seems bad i'm like that just it sounds like it just penis anyway expansion with a focus on the penal system <laughs> sorry sorry okay oh man there's something wrong with me